smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways, but now he's spoken by Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we have a guest speaker, Tim Ireland, on Who is God? From Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 to 34, verse 9. Here's Tim. Well, I really like to read uh, the news. But lately, there's been a lot of uh, scary and discouraging news. COVID cases are soaring in our city. Russia and Ukraine are now officially at war. Everyone's waiting to see what happens next. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes the news in our own personal lives isn't much better. Our marriage has hit a rough patch. Maybe our kids aren't walking with the Lord. We're facing struggles at work or at school. Friendships are difficult. Family members are sick and hurting. And sometimes we just feel discouraged and overwhelmed. But friends, amid all the discouraging news in this world, amid all the difficulty in our own lives, what we really need, what we need more than anything else, is to be reminded of who our God really is. That's the question Matt asked me to consider with you this morning. Who is God? Who is our God really? And I trust you can see that's a huge question. That's not a question we can answer in a 30-minute sermon. That's not a question we can fully answer in this life or even in the life to come. But as we face discouragement in our own lives, as we face scary news on the TV, it is a question that we need to return to again and again and again. So this morning, I want to start to consider who our God is by looking at Exodus 33 and 34 together. Our passage today, it comes after the famous, or or maybe we should say the infamous incident with the golden calf. Most of you probably know the story. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. Moses is receiving the law from God himself. But after Moses has been gone just a little while, the people at the bottom of the mountain start to get impatient. And in their impatience, they ask Aaron, make a God for us. And the irony in chapter 32 is sad because the living God, the creator of this universe, has just saved his people from Egypt. He's just led them through the Red Sea. He's destroyed their enemies. He's been present with them in pillar of cloud and fire. But here the Israelites are asking for another God, asking for a little golden calf that they can worship. And how does the living God respond? How does the creator of this universe respond to the rebellion and idolatry of his people? Well, in chapter 32, God threatens to consume the entire nation. But Moses prays to God. Moses pleads with God, and God relents. God agrees not to totally destroy Israel. But then at the start of our chapter, at the start of Exodus 33, God speaks to Moses again. In verse 1, God commands Moses, lead Israel into the promised land. 
But then if you have your Bibles open, look at chapter 33 and verse 3 again. This verse is crucial for our passage today. Chapter 33, verse 3, God says, I will not go up among you. Because if I go among you, I will consume you in my wrath. In other words, God is saying, Israel, you are a rebellious people. You are a hard-hearted, stiff-necked, idolatrous, sinful people. And I am a holy, perfect, pure God. So if I go with you and if I am present in your midst, I will consume you in my just anger. And as our passage opens today, the burning question in this passage is this, what will happen to Israel in the future? Will God relent? Will God be present among his chosen people? And if God goes with them, how? How is this possible? How can a holy God live among such a sinful nation? That's the question that shapes uh, this passage together. That's the question that helps us to begin to consider who our God really is. So who is God? Two main points this morning. First, the promise of God's presence, chapter 33, verses 12 to 23. And second, the proclamation of God's character, chapter 34, verses 1 to 9. The promise of God's presence and the proclamation of God's character. First, the promise of God's presence. Look at chapter 33, verse 12 again. Then Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. And here Moses is recalling God's command at the start of the chapter. Remember, God told Moses, lead Israel into the promised land. But here in verse 12, Moses raises an objection. He's saying, God, you've told me to lead this people, but you said you won't go with us. It's as if Moses realizes if God doesn't go with Moses, if God doesn't go with Israel, there is no hope at all for the people. So Moses starts to pray. He starts to plead with God. Look down at verse 15. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Or verse 16, how will anyone know that we have found favor with you, me and your people, unless you go with us? Do, do you see what's happening here? Moses is saying, God, you've told us to go up, but if you don't go with us, there's no point in going. God, if you don't lead us through the desert, if you're not with us in the promised land, there is no hope for us at all. And friends, the same thing is true for us today. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that as believers, we are still wandering around in the wilderness of this world. And some days we feel that so keenly. We turn on the news and we see COVID and China and Russia and Ukraine. Or we look at our lives and we see the mess of relationships, the difficulties with coworkers, the sin and chaos in our own hearts, and we start to realize our only hope, our only hope amid the discouraging, scary news of this world, our only hope in the wilderness of life is if God himself is with us. But do you see the problem here? 
Moses is praying. Moses is saying, God, our only hope is if you go with us. But verse 3 tells us if a holy, perfect, pure God is present with his people, he will consume them in his wrath. So what do we do? How, How do we make sense of this? How can a holy God be present with a sinful nation? We'll look at the second half of verse 12. I'm going to give a a slightly different translation here. Verse 12, God, you have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace. You have found grace with me. Or verse 13, Moses says, if I have found grace with you, teach me your ways, so that I may continue to find grace in your sight. Or one more time, look down at verse 16, how will anyone know that we have found grace with you, me and your people, unless you go with us? It's a little bit hard to see in English, but the key word that keeps coming up in this passage is that little word, grace. In the NIV, the the word favor, the phrase, you are pleased with me, it's the same word in Hebrew. It's the word grace. In fact, the root of this word turns up something like seven times in this passage. Friends, do you see the point? The only way Moses can plead and pray for a holy God to be present among a sinful people, the only basis for God's presence among a sinful nation, the only way God can be present with sinners like us is God's grace. You see, we don't deserve God's presence among us. No, what Israel deserved, what you and I deserve is for God to consume us in his wrath. Because just like Israel so many years ago, we are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. We may not bow down to a golden calf, but we worship the gods of this world. We bow down to money and success, to power and reputation. We bow down to the bigger house and the bigger car and the nicer neighborhood and the better school for our kids. Just like Israel, we deserve God to consume us in his wrath. But Moses' prayer shows us our God is a God who is rich in grace. A God who gives us good gifts that we could never deserve, that we could never earn. A God who even promises to be present with sinful people like us. In fact, that's what God says in verse 17. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because you have found grace. Same word again, because you have found grace with me and I know you by name. Dear friends, this is absolutely incredible because the holy creator of this universe The awesome God of this world promises to be near, to be with his people, to be present even with sinners like us. To be present with us in the trials of life. To be present with us when we're scared about wars and COVID and breakups and layoffs. To be present with us day in and day out in the ups and downs of our daily lives. To be present with us 
until the return of Jesus, our Savior. Friends, that's who our God is. That's the promise of God's presence. Well, at this point in the story, we might expect Moses to call it a day. God has just given this incredible promise to his people. God has just promised to be with them in his grace. But notice Moses doesn't stop here. Look at what he says in verse 18. God, now show me your glory. Now Moses wants to see with his eyes something of God's glory, something of God's presence with his people. I think part of what's going on here is Moses is asking God for visible proof, visible reassurance that God really will be present with Israel. And how does God respond? Well, in verse 19, God proclaims his name to Moses. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And then in verse 20, look at what God says. God says, Moses, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. But just when we think that's the end of the story, God speaks a third time. Verse 21, God tells Moses, stand on a rock, stand in the cleft, some kind of hole in the rock. And then God says, I will cover you in the rock. My glory will pass by you. And then after I've passed by you, you will see the tail end, the back end of my glory. But my face, my face cannot be seen. You know, one of the things that I uh, love about living in Perth is watching the sunsets. I've seen sunsets in different parts of the world, but I think uh, the sunsets in Perth are some of the most beautiful that I've seen anywhere. Nothing quite beats watching the sun set over the ocean. But you know, when you watch the sunset, you can't look directly at the sun. You need some kind of protection over your eyes. Because if you try to look directly at the sun for very long, you'll damage your eyes sooner or later, you'll go blind. So sometimes the best way to watch the sunset is not actually to look at the sun, but to look at the sky above, to see the reflection that the sun makes in the clouds, to see the pinks and the oranges and the reds and the yellows in the clouds. And I think that's a little bit of what's happening here in Exodus 33. We cannot look at the sun. We cannot stare into the brightness of the sun without going blind. And here God is telling Moses that God is so glorious. God is so bright. God is so holy. God is so awesome that man cannot look at God and live. In fact, do you remember the passage Dale read for us in Isaiah 6? Even the angels in heaven... The unfallen angels in heaven cover their eyes and fall on their faces before the awesome brightness and glory and majesty of God. But in God's remarkable grace, in his undeserved favor, here at the end of Exodus 33, God lets Moses see not the full brightness of his glory, but the tail end of his majesty. It's like God shows Moses not the brightness of the sun, but its reflection in the clouds and the sky above. And with this veiled vision of God's glory, Moses gets the reassurance that he needs. 
Moses gets the proof of God's promise, the proof that God really will be present with his people. But you know, as amazing as this uh, story is, it's not really the end of the story. Because Exodus 33, it's not really the last display of God's glory. This chapter, this promise to Moses is not really the final proof of God's presence with his people. You see, this promise of God's presence, this display of God's glory to Moses, it it is just a little picture. It is pointing us forward to the person of Jesus Christ himself. In fact, do you remember John chapter 1? John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then do you remember how it finishes? And we have seen his glory. Glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Or maybe you remember later in John's gospel, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. And do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus tells him, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Friends, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see God's glory displayed. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have God's presence among his people. But maybe some of you are still thinking, okay, Tim, that's nice, but what good does it do for me? How how can you keep talking of God's presence with us when we're not Moses on the mountain? We're not Jesus' apostles 2,000 years ago. After all, Jesus isn't walking around in Perth today. But friends, before he went up into heaven, Jesus told us, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Before he went up into heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will send you another helper, a helper who will be with you forever. And Christians, from the right hand of the Father in heaven, Jesus Christ the Son has poured out his Holy Spirit on his people, on you and me today. And by the Holy Spirit, we have God's presence in our hearts even now. Just as surely as Moses saw God's glory on the mountain, just as surely as Jesus' disciples saw and touched and felt and talked with him 2,000 years ago, just as surely as that, we have God, the Spirit, God's presence among us today and tomorrow, and forever. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the down payment, God's down payment to us that he will never leave us or forsake us, that a day is coming when we will live in the presence of God forever. And friends, amid all the trials of our lives, amid discouraging news on the television, amid parenting struggles and nagging sin and trouble making friends, isn't that the promise 
that we need to remember. God is with us even now by his Holy Spirit. And whatever comes tomorrow morning, whatever struggles await us this week, God will never leave us or forsake us. So who is God? He's the one who is always present with his people. But there's another part to the answer, another source of comfort for us today. It's the second part of our passage and our second point this morning. First, the promise of God's presence, but second, the proclamation of God's character. The proclamation of God's character. We don't have time to look at all the detail, but it's enough to say that here in chapter 34, we have a covenant renewal ceremony. You may remember when Israel sinned with the golden calf, Moses took those first two tablets of stone and he threw them to the ground, symbolizing that God's people had broken the covenant with their God. And now in chapter 34, verse 1, God tells Moses to make two new tablets. God says he will write the words of the covenant on these tablets. In other words, despite the people's sin, despite their rebellion and idolatry, God is going to renew his relationship with his people. So Moses does what he's told. In verse 4, he cuts new tablets. He gets up early in the morning. He hikes up Mount Sinai. He's going to meet God a second time. And in verses 5 to 7, we get the heart of this passage. And notice what's at the heart of this passage. What's at the center of this ceremony? It is the proclamation, the announcement of God's name. In the modern uh, Western world, names don't usually have much meaning anymore. Usually we just choose a name for our kids based on what sounds good. But you know, even now, names still do have a strange power over us. A few years ago, I was an intern uh, at a church in the States, and there was a, a woman at my church who had taught me kindy many, many years before. And as the intern, I called everyone in the church by their first name, everyone except for her. Somehow, all those years later, I could never get over the fact that she was my kindergarten teacher. I, I could never bring myself to call her by her first name, no matter what. Even now, she is still Mrs. Curry to me. You see, even in the modern world, names do have a power to them. What we call people still is important. But names in the ancient world, names in the Bible were even more important than that. Names in the Bible mean something. In fact, names in the Bible show us, they reveal to us something of a person's character. Names in the Bible tell us what someone is like. So when God reveals his name to Moses here, he's not just telling Moses, this is what to call me. No, God is telling Moses, Moses, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. When God proclaims his name to Moses, he is answering the question, who is our God? So let's look at this proclamation of God's name together. Look at verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh 
the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Who is God? God is saying, I am a God of grace. The Lord, the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. That's the name that says God is a God who enters into special relationships with his chosen people. The Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious. A God who has been gracious to a sinner like Moses. A God who has been gracious to sinful Israel. A God who has been gracious to stiff-necked, rebellious, idolatrous sinners like us. The Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious. A God patient with sinners, a God who does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, a God who delights, who takes joy in forgiving rebellious sinners like us. Who is God? He is a God rich in grace. But then notice there's more to God's character than just his grace. The second half of verse 7 tells us God is also a God of perfect justice. Look at verse 7 again. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. As we've already seen in chapter 33, God is a God of glorious holiness. He is a God who dwells in unapproachable light. He is a God whose brightness and purity we cannot look upon and live. He is a God who cannot just brush our sins aside and pretend they're no big deal. He is a God of perfect justice. And friends, when we hear this announcement of God's name, when we hear this announcement of God's character, when we start to realize that our God is a God of perfect justice, a God who is so holy that we cannot look at him and live, we are reminded again of just how sinful we really are. In fact, notice how Moses responds here. In verse 8, he falls on his face in worship. And then in verse 9, he sees his sin. He sees God's holiness and his own sin, so he pleads, he pleads with God for forgiveness. Verse 9, Lord, if I have found grace in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Then look at this, although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin. Dear friends, when we see God's holy character, we are reminded that the only way that a just God can live among sinners like us is if God is also merciful and gracious, if God also forgives our iniquity and our sin. But brothers and sisters, praise the Lord because that's exactly what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have the promise of God's presence with his people. But in Jesus Christ, we also see the proclamation of God's character. In Jesus Christ, we find the only way of forgiveness for sinners like us. Listen, at the cross of Christ, we see God's justice 
and his holiness. At the cross of Christ, we see that our sin is so serious that Jesus Christ has to die to pay the price. We see that God cannot brush our sins aside and pretend they're no big deal. But at the cross of Jesus Christ, we also see a God who is incredibly rich in compassion and mercy and grace. Because by God's grace, he sends a substitute in our place. By God's grace, he sends Jesus Christ, his own son, to suffer and die for our sins. So that now the justice, the perfect justice of God has been fully satisfied. So that now there can be forgiveness, free and full forgiveness for stiff-necked rebels like us. So that now we can have the promise of God's presence among us because our sins have been paid for in full. Friends, here in Exodus 34, we hear the announcement of God's name. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, we hear an echo of that name. The Lord, the Lord. A God who will not leave the guilty unpunished. But a God who delights to forgive our wickedness and our sin in Jesus Christ alone. So who is God? He's the God who's promised to always be with us by his spirit. And he's the God who's proclaimed his glorious character, the God who has accomplished our salvation once for all through Jesus Christ. And dear friends, those are at least two of the truths that we need to remember in this crazy world. Because whatever happens with Russia and Ukraine and COVID, we can be confident God will never leave us. Whatever happens at school or at work this week, we can know for sure God is still gracious to us. In fact, amid all the discouraging news of this world, God promises us an even better day is coming. God promises us a day when at last we will see the glory of our God. Not just as Moses saw it, not just as a dim reflection of the sunset in the clouds. No believers in Jesus Christ, a day is coming when we will see the shining glory and majesty and brightness of our God in the face of Jesus Christ. A day is coming when God himself will write his name on our foreheads. A day is coming when we will join Moses and all God's people through the ages falling on our faces in worship before our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. World without end. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, 
thank you for this little picture in Exodus 33 and 34 of who you are. Lord, we know there is so much more to your majesty and your greatness and your character. But Lord, even in this little taste, we are refreshed by your grace and your mercy and your kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Father, write these truths deeply on our hearts and our minds. Remind us of them in all the trials of this life. And teach us to pray with your people through the ages. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So we ask it all in Jesus' name.